welcome to another episode of Drivers, a podcast devoted to the latest trends in the golf industry and the individuals setting them. I'm David Klein, along with John Last from Sports and Leisure Research Group. And today we've got a great episode for you. We're going to talk about some very interesting themes that have come up recently. John, these days we've seen that there's some very uh, interesting trends with respect to buying, selling, and owning and operating a golf course. Our ongoing tracking studies at Sports and Leisure Research Group continue to show golfers' spending patterns define the macro economy as a whole. The robust growth in the golf participation over the past 30 years has made for a much more bullish attitude in the business, though we're beginning to see some caution as of late. Aren't we, John? That's right, David. While initial post-pandemic observations showed significant service lapses among those competitive leisure pursuits that golf goes up against, that has begun to fade of late. And, and golf facility operators that we speak with are still confronted with labor challenges and beginning to temper some of their expectations in light of this. I'm happy to introduce our guest today, who's been at the forefront of all of this as the president of Golf Property Analysts, a leader in club consulting and golf property valuations. It's my pleasure to welcome my good friend, Larry Hirsch, to Drivers. Thanks. Thanks for having me, guys. Good to have you here, Larry. And and, and before we get into some of the market dynamics that David alluded to um, and that you're seeing right now, can you begin by giving our audience a, a bit of a brief overview of your company and, and how you got into the business? Well, basically, I'm a real estate appraiser. I, I grew up in the in the real estate business. Both my parents were residential real estate brokers and uh, encouraged me into the appraisal side of the business. I established my own company, went to, went to college and studied real estate and all that sort of stuff and established my own appraisal practice after a couple of years working for others in 1980 uh, in central Pennsylvania in Harrisburg, where I grew up and did basically commercial industrial appraising, you know, the normal income property appraisal stuff. I've always been a golfer. I played competitively at a local and state level for a long time and just decided that doing golf courses and, and learning about golf and, and hanging out more at golf courses would be more fun than, than shopping centers and office buildings and warehouses and apartment complexes. Golf courses use a lot of real estate and nobody at the time was paying any attention to, to golf courses as, a, as an investment type and a, and a property type. So I kind of went out and made it my business to learn everything I could about the golf business and the real estate economics that relate to golf and and that sort of stuff. And, you know, it seemed like it'd be fun, which it has been. And I learned the business and 35, 40 years later and 3,500 assignments in 46 states and three books and hundreds of articles. Here we are. <laughs> Pretty amazing. Another another one uh, after the whole model of, of following what you love and, and and seeing the business grow as a part of that. You've seen a lot. We've, we've both seen a lot as, as observers of the industry. And, and as David remarked at the top of the show, we've, we've been in an interesting couple of years. Uh, we've, we've, we've really seen a welcome but significant departure from the pre-pandemic golf facility market that we were mired in. And, and, and now, we're kind of in an interesting time. Have, have things fundamentally changed uh, and are conditions getting tighter now from, from where you sit? That's a great question. I think a lot of people feel that it has, but I'm not sure that that's not wishful thinking. I mean, certainly COVID has been a, a surge and a shot in the arm for golf, but I've been 
pretty forward about the fact that I'm not so sure that it's totally sustainable. I think some of the growth is potentially sustainable, but I don't think all of golf's problems are solved because I don't think the culture has really changed that much. Now, I've seen a few things that are indicating, you know, that golf is trying to become a little bit more diverse. Just this morning, I was I was at the groundbreaking ceremony for the Cobbs Creek project in Philadelphia, which is like a $115 million project to revitalize these public golf courses and build a Tiger Woods Learning Center and all kinds of other stuff, par three course driving range, the whole bit. And that's going to be a great thing because it's urban golf and it's going to serve a market that golf hasn't typically embraced very well culturally. I don't know that the fundamentals have changed, but I suppose that I'm at least cautiously optimistic that I'm seeing some signs that there's an attempt. You know, Larry, I know you and John have both written and presented about cultural shifts in America and how they've had significant implications on facility owners and operators. In fact, as I understand, you literally wrote the book on this. What do you mean when you talk about club culture? And why is this such an important piece that not only has been overlooked, but really gets at what the future trends of golf might look like? Well, I, I think there's there's both golf culture and club culture. And and I think that on in a in a broader perspective, golf in this country has has always been looked upon, especially by nine golfers, as an elitist activity, and even by some golfers, because they they reach a certain um, level economically and they they go out and they join the club and they kind of feel like that's you know a status symbol. And, and, you know, if you talk to people in the UK and, and Scotland in particular, where lucky me, I'm headed there next week, but, you know, they'll tell you that golf in their country is an every man's game and golf here is a status symbol by and large. So I think that, I think that the culture of golf needs to be more open and welcoming and embracing to what I call the three M's, millennials, minorities, and moms which have not historically been really embraced that much uh, by, by the game of golf. And then, and then I think when you get to club culture, you know, every club has its own culture. There are clubs that are more formal and, and more business oriented. And then there are more family oriented clubs. There's upscale clubs, there's affordable clubs, there's upscale and affordable daily fee facilities. And I think that, you know, let's face it, uh, private clubs in particular have had a, a very long history of exclusion. That's changing. But I, I still think that culturally golf has a long way to go. And I don't know why they're not embracing it, because I think that's how you make the game grow. You know, millennials, minorities and moms are the biggest growth opportunities for golf to you know, really make the game grow and and have golf courses and and private clubs thrive and and be successful. It's 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 a really interesting and important topic for sure. And, and and I know we've talked about it a lot. You know, as as we've kind of gotten to know each other throughout the industry over the years. And and when you think about tying it into you know what your business focuses on, and that's obviously the valuation of courses and, and understanding how you know they become important 
piece not only in their community but as investment vehicles. It it strikes it it strikes me that that club culture can really become a additional piece that adds value to an overall transaction. And 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 you know not to kind of set ourselves up, it's something that we've been talking about and we've actually been developing collectively our two firms. Tell tell our, our listeners a little bit about the whole benefit side of, of why what we're calling a club culture audit is really another interesting piece that, that hasn't historically been placed as part of the, the bucket of items that are, are, are part of the overall valuation and, and appraisal kit. Well, that's that's a great question, John. And, and when I whenever I go to a club, one of the things, and this could be at a public course, and we, we use the word club a lot. And, and you know, in, in a lot of cases, club can also mean a public course or even municipal course. And each club, each facility has its own culture. And the first thing I like to get a handle on, especially at private clubs, but also at daily fee courses, is the culture of the members or the patrons one of ownership or one of being customers? Are they owners or customers? You know, even if you play at a municipal course or if you play at a privately owned daily fee course, that's your your place. That's your playground. That's where you go hang out. And the culture of that club, is it a place, for instance, even on a, on a privately owned public golf course, is it a place where players encourage their, their fellow players to replace divots and fix ball marks? Is it, is it a place where if ownership says to the players, hey, look, we wanna, we wanna put in a practice range or a short game area or, or expand the practice tee or renovate the bunkers, is it a place that, that the people will say, that's cool, that's a great idea. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm willing to pay $3 more a round or whatever it is to, to play there, $5 more a round. And and private clubs obviously the numbers are bigger because of the membership element and in some cases the ownership element. So I think you know the first thing I try to do whenever I go to any club is find out whether that club has a culture of owners or customers. We're we're working with a club right now in the Midwest, and this club has unfortunately a a very customer culture. And, you know, they'll tell you, and we did some surveys, the, the guy I'm working with, who's the membership expert, did some surveys of the membership. And yeah, they want pickleball and yeah, they want paddle and yeah, they want, you know, padel and yeah, they want the pool and yeah, they want this and they want this and they want shooting and they want all this other stuff. But when you ask them if they're willing to take on any more debt or be assessed, they have no interest in that whatsoever. And and the 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 overwhelming favorite way to finance the potential improvements to the club was that maybe a half a dozen rich guys will throw in a bunch of money and they'll pay for it, and 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 that's you know that's a a culture of customers. A culture of owners is when the members really like the club, want it to be the best. That's a function of good leadership and leadership changes. So sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad and 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 all that sort of thing. But but I think that uh, the culture of a club is what ultimately enters into the culture of a market and then the culture of golf as a whole. 
And from a, a valuation standpoint and an assessment standpoint, it, it just has always struck me as something that doesn't typically get looked at as carefully as some of the more you know obvious operating elements that get measured. Really, oh, absolutely, absolutely. Really fascinating um, and, and so important when you when you you know at this day and age, given kind of the inflection point that we talked about. To, to put that broader macro lens on, you know, how one is viewing a facility as an investment or as a growth opportunity. We, we are at the end of our time limit here. I, as, as, as I often feel when we have guests on, we could probably talk for another 30 minutes, but uh, we like to keep these tight and concise. So Larry, thank you so much for being on uh, this episode of Drivers, and we'll look forward to seeing you all on our next episode. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Mm-hmm.